Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inside Arsenal Extra Time, the show where myself and James Bench from CBS will get together and discuss all things Arsenal, look back on what's been a very good week in the Champions League. We'll look ahead to the January transfer window, which is fast approaching. Look ahead to Brighton, of course, just three days away from that big, big game in the Premier League as Arsenal look to bounce back from the defeat at Aston Villa last weekend. As usual, joined by James Bench. How are you doing, James? Looking very Christmassy with the Christmas tree set up behind you there. I, I... I am. It was Hannah, my partner, sort of said uh, um, when I've been recording videos for CBS. She's sort of like, "Have you got the Christmas tree in the background?" She spent so much time putting up those lights and all that, and I said, "Oh no!" So I've been instructed that I need to get the Christmas tree in the background, but it does look very good. Little star, little star on the top. I I was allowed to buy that. I can't point at it, but there you go. Yes, Christmas decoration is is really not my strong point. I'm much too tacky for it. As you nice, might it's, it's, a, it's a far better backdrop than what I have of just a bare <laughs> mar- marked wall with nothing behind it, which when I do move house, and I am going to move house at some point, and I promise I'm going to have a nice office stroke studio, studio. going to look a hell of a lot better than this behind me at some point. Can but, you um, imagine when you were taking your NTTJ or you know getting your first journalism qualifications that you would have really needed to think about? the studio setup at your home and how it would reflect on you. I mean, between COVID and, and everything, it sort of feels like nowadays, like, you know, our laptops are sort of, it's not about writing anymore. It's about making a good shot for YouTube and all that. Well, it certainly is for me. <laughs> it's for me now. Uh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's yeah. A world away from when I first started 20 years ago, it has to be said, but got to move with the times, haven't you? And certainly a lot of fun doing things like this. And, um it's been a it's been a fun week this week uh, aside from obviously Aston Villa at the weekend but I, I really enjoyed the PSV game in midweek I didn't think I was going to it was the most classic of dead rubbers wasn't it and I thought what's going to happen this is going to be I, I, a, I thought Arsenal were going to lose and I thought Arsenal were going to lose mm. quite heavily 
they didn't. I thought they got a very good point, but it was quite a fun game, actually. I did enjoy it. Did you catch it? Did you watch it? I I did. Um, or I did until um, Reese Nelson and Eddie and Ketty had scored. And then you will have got this text from me uh, about do, do do you think that Char- Carlos Vela constitutes an academy graduate? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Yes, um, I because I thought, well, wow, well, you know, actually two actual hail end graduates, not young Arsenal players, not you know, uh, you know, people that have been given their first professional chance, Arsenal, but two players from the academy, it actually must be a fair while since that happened. But I was like, oh, it'll be sort of Wilshire assisting Sesk or vice versa. Nope, 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 nope. I have checked and I spent, you know, literally straight after the goal went in, I spent a very long time going back through Arsenal Wikipedia pages to get the last time um, two Arsenal Academy players, had, or one had assisted the other, in the European Cup, um, and you have to go all the way back to 1991 when David Rocastle tees up Kevin Campbell, and which is Benfica one-one. Quite amazing, really, when you think so many, you know, so many players have come through Arsenal's academy. But actually, it gives you a sense maybe of how special this this era is. That you know we're in a position where there there are two academy players on the pit, well more as well, on the pitch, scoring and providing for each other. That's not normal. I was trying to go to that game in Benfica. My dad went without me. He didn't take <laughs> oh, me. It was, a school, it was a school night, obviously, and he didn't take me. He went by himself to the Stadium of Light and saw that 1-1 one, 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 one draw. Did you watch? go back and watch that goal? Lovely goal. David oh. Rocastle's pass was so good. It was so kids, good. Really good, really good finish by Campbell. This. Kids that are watching this, you don't know, and you have to do the research. You don't know how good David Rocastle is. He he was an amazing footballer. Unbelievable. One of my favourite players of all time, Rocky. Just so, so good, so talented. And uh, yeah, brilliant pass. Really good finish by by Campbell as well, actually. 1-1. One, one. Mm. The second game, the second leg, I was at Highbury for it in the junior gunners section in front of the... I think we are over at the East Stand at that point, over in the front of the East Stand. And it was one of the first games that I've been properly heartbroken at when leaving because I've been sort of played Austria Vienna in the first round beat them 6-1 at Highbury Smudger scored four goals brilliant I loved it diving header in front of the North Bank um in that game and I thought oh, this is easy this European football art and, and I <laughs> convinced myself that Arsenal were going to go on and win the European Cup and then they played Benfica 1-1 over there good result came back here and lost 3-1. Isaiah scored two goals. Went to extra time, scored two goals. I just remember I was so heartbroken leaving Highbury that night as a 10-year-old, having seen us lose in Europe for the first time in my life. And uh, yeah, and I was determined. I really wanted Arsenal to draw Benfica in like the next four European campaigns to get revenge on them for that. It was a yeah, heartbreaking night. But So yeah, well, I saw your tweet after that game and I thought, God, that is, that is mad. You've got to go all the way back to 1991 for that, for that to happen. I was, I, I, I thought, I was, I was literally going through specific goals as well. I was like, you know, the, you know, you remember the Ashley Cole back post header against Dinamo Kiev. Mm. I was like, was that a Ray Parler cross? Nope. You and yeah, you just can't believe that sort of Sesk and Wilshire didn't combine once. But actually, those three are kind of the three major, and part those four with Parler are kind of the four major academy players that Arsenal have have had play big minutes in the best competition, the European Cup, Champions League. Mm-hmm. And so now Arsenal have that many players from their own academy who could be playing this season. I mean, what a what a rich vein that the club struck a few years back around 2019. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Good goal, actually, Eddie's goal, wasn't it? I, I was a really, really good play by Reese and lovely finish by Eddie. I was very, very impressed mm-hmm. with that. Yes, top, top. And Reese as well. What when he gets the full ninety, he, he tends to deliver for Arsenal. I find good player, good player. I do like Reese Nelson. We'll talk about him probably. We're going to discuss yeah. a little bit the the PSV game a little bit later on and the the lack of youth involvement shall we say which is a certainly caused a lot of debate this week and um certainly caused a lot of debate on this channel actually when i spoke about it yesterday it's uh it's it's safe to say it divides divides opinion how Mikel sort of handled that that game so we'll talk about that as well we'll talk about um we'll look ahead to brighton of course towards the end um interesting game for arsenal against a team that (laughs) certainly like winning at the emirates brighton um (laughs) we'll talk about that we've got I'll go through got some questions um from uh, viewers as well that we'll get involved with um but going to start today's show I thought we would spend a bit of time we are now very very close to the January transfer window of course and when I asked on Twitter or X whatever you call it um for some questions lots and lots of them as you would imagine were about the January transfer window which just shows the interest uh that people are going to uh start sort of looking towards what Arsenal might well be doing in January or what they might not be doing in January. So I thought we'd sit down and have a little bit of discussion about that um, and what we think they might do or what we think they mm. probably should do, that sort of stuff. And so last January was an interesting one for Arsenal, wasn't it? It was, you know, it was sort of leading up to it. It was all about Mudrick. It was all about Caicedo. And then suddenly mm. it ended up being about Trostard, Jorginho and Jakob Kivior. So it kind of ended in a very different fashion to how it started expectation-wise, I think. But on the whole, I think it was a very good January transfer window. When you look at it now, you look at what's gone on with Mudrick since he since he came to the Premier League with Chelsea, how Trossard's done, how Jorginho's done, how Kivior's done, in fact. I think mm. it was a really strong January transfer window for Arsenal. A window that can always be difficult to do business in. You never quite know what's going to happen, how players are going to adapt, certainly at halfway stage of the season. But you know, all three transfers, I think, have proved to be a success. I think if you're rating them right now, what, coming up to a year on from all three players, I think it, you're very hard-pressed to say that they have not been a success, all three of those mm. transfers. Um, of course, Arsenal were in a position when they were trying to go for the title when it was a case of strengthening, trying to get themselves over the line, which they ultimately didn't. But they spent a lot of money in January last year, sort of totting up, what was it? It's about 70 million, 60 million, 70 million, I think. With what, yeah, about 30 for Trossard, about 25 for Kivior, and then about 10 for Jorginho. Mm. When you look at this January, can you see any way that they're going to do something similar in terms of financial outlay to what they did last year? I, I, I'd be very, very surprised. I can't see it. I like, like you, I would be very, very surprised. The way I would see it is it, it, it will be more reactive, I think. A year ago, Arsenal were looking at, at this sort of saying, we might be a little short to win the title and the, these guys might get us across the line for this season. Um, obviously, they thought those guys were Madrid and Caicedo, um, but th- th- there was a real desire to sort of actually add a little bit of quality and a little bit of sparkle and, and try and get themselves across the line. The sense I get, and you always have to be careful sort of like reading the tea leaves here of no one no one, least of all Arsenal under Mikel Arteta, wants you to know what they're planning in January. But the sense I get is there's not a a name sort of written in pencil in the same way that by this stage a year ago, Mudrick, we all had the sense something was going to happen here. Um, 
I think if Arsenal can see business that's worth pushing forward uh, that they would make during the summer, they would do that. I don't really see that being at the striker position, but it might happen. Like, um, whether they feel like they're then there's the sort of there's the other side of it, which is are they going to be a body light? And I know a lot of people in in the questions on Twitter mentioned Afcon and the Asia Cup, and that's going to be sort of tight numerically. So like there's a possibility there of something something that would be more of a Jorginho or a Kivior style signing. So I, I think of those as sort of real archetypes. Jorginho is the sort of, we need a solid veteran. We need someone now that we can, that could start a few games for us, but we'll then sort of go into the depths of the squad. Kivior's a long-term investment. Um, I would think you might see a wit, like a, a wide player in a Kivior mold would, would be what I would think is, Plausible, but not likely. I don't think anything is likely. Um, and you could maybe see on loan a, a, def- a the defender. I'm speculating on that one, but I mean, I just don't. To us, I don't see a huge amount happening. I don't. I, I, I'd be more surprised if they spend significant money on any player at all. I, I, I think they will sort of look to ride out January. But, but what do you think? Yeah, it certainly seems to be the message that is that is coming out is not to expect too much. You never know when it comes to that message, though because we've all been in that position before when that is a message we've been receiving and then something else happens. You know, I'll never forget the night before Arsenal signed Thomas Party. We were at a match at, at the Emirates and I can't remember who they were playing, but w- w- the message we all got th- that night was don't expect much tomorrow. We're not going to be doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting up, getting home that night, not expecting anything, waking up that morning, doing a YouTube show that morning saying you know the word we're getting from Arsenal is not to expect anything today and then within a th- few hours I'd got word that Arsenal were about to uh, trigger Thomas Partey's release clause so it's you know you can never say never when it comes to the transfer like you said it's all it can be very reactive thing you can a club can approach it thinking we're not going to do anything then suddenly bang a deal sort of arises a phone call mm. happens that changes everything and I'm like okay we've got this opportunity shall we do it and I think Arsenal will certainly be approaching the window open-minded in terms of if something does arise that is just too good to turn down and is the right thing to do at the right time, then they'll look to do it. But I don't think they're overly flush when it comes to cash. I think, as we've spoken about before on this show, the David Raya deal and how that was done, is, you know, I think that, that says a lot about where Arsenal are at the moment and will be until until the end of the season. So I'm not expecting huge amounts to happen. If a big player sale takes place maybe that would free up a bit of cash that mm. they could do something i mean look um it's just one here i'm just looking at some of the questions we got in there's one from arsenal america says any squad concerns for the next month or so as you said before i said especially as we lose players to afcon and the asia cup and when you look at the squad at the moment i mean on paper there it looks pretty strong but then obviously you've got to put a big line through you in timber for certainly the next few months, you know, potentially the season still, despite all the good noises coming out of it about how he's doing, you know, you've got to ease a player like that back into action. You think, look at, like, I don't know, Vivian Miedemar at the moment. She started last night yeah. in the game against Tottenham, but, you know, she's been back training for a fair while now, but she's still being eased into games. It's not like as soon as you're back training, that's it. You're going to be playing week in, week out. You're not. You've got to have your load managed. You've got, you know, it, it's such a significant injury so you know you can basically put a line through you in timber at the moment Cedric Suarez um a January move could well happen there's 
<laughs> it's you know you know Christmas is coming when Cedric is linked with an unnamed Turkish yeah. club, don't you? Yeah, to, to, there is, but that apparently apparently there is, and then Villarreal interest is there. I've seen that reported today, and you know I've I've heard exactly the same when it comes to Villarreal potentially being um, doing something in January for Cedric Suarez, and that he's open to it, and that Arsenal are open to it. So. You know, he could potentially be losing someone like Cedric Suarez as well, who, although he's not playing much, he's still an experienced body in the squad. Yeah, so when, when you I can't at, believe I'm about to make this case, but can Arsenal afford to lose Cedric Suarez? Well, that's why I was saying, and we'll get on to this, that I didn't understand why he started. If that is the case, and that's what I've been told, that Arsenal are open to him going mm. in January, then what, what was the point of starting him and not Real Horses yeah. uh, at the weekend? But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But when you look at that squad in front of you there, and you look at the players who potentially at the moment aren't available and who could be going away for the international tournaments we've just spoken about, do you have concerns that that can get Arsenal through over the second half of the season if they go deep into the Champions League and, you know, as we all hope, push for this Premier League title? I'd be worried at fullback because you've got, what, three right-backs in, in Timber, Tomiyasu and Partey just not available at all. So it's it's pretty much all on Ben White and, you know, whatever they do with Cedric. But, like, what games are they going to play Cedric in beyond sort of third round of the FA Cup? Well, wish I can't because it's against Liverpool. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That would be the, the sort of... That's an immediate concern that you would say is a case to be made for using the loan market or picking up a experienced veteran who can come straight into the team and and just plug gaps for a few months um that interesting because obviously with all these calculuses it's not like uh, you're in timber tomiyasu and Partey are never going to play for arsenal again so it's it's not quite the same as as if someone leaves and the last thing you want to leave yourself with is a squad like arteta inherited mm. where there are all these quick fixes there are all these pablo murray's and socrates in the squad because Arsenal needed a, a centre back or a defender there and then, so that and I and I know that Arsenal are really conscious of not letting this squad bloat yeah. by plugging gaps. There's that, and I still think, and I, I felt it even after Reese Nelson's really good performance, and we could talk a bit about Nelson. It just the, the squad feels a little lack, lacking in pace behind Saka and Martinelli, and if if Arteta doesn't trust Nelson to come on in big games like Villa then he needs to find someone else that can can alleviate the load on that. I don't see that being something that gets addressed, but I do think it's something that needs to be addressed. I, as soon as January, uh, I think it could be, you know, like Trossard didn't win Arsenal the title, but it's very easy to see how, I see a world where like having Trossard around might have won Arsenal the title. And I, you know, if I'm Arteta talking to the Cronkies, I do think I can make a similar case for like, get me one more, winger one more wide forward and i can i can win the league yeah yeah no i agree i do it's, it's the ffp thing so i think they can talk it to Cronky all, all they like but i mean we don't know the ins and outs of exactly where arsenal are in their accountings over these the, the sort of the period that they need to be and where they need to be in terms of lo where the line is but it feels like they're pretty close to it so as much as they can talk to the Cronkies all the light, I do wonder if that's what's going to hold them back in that regard when it comes to mm. when it comes to January. I mean, I look at that squad and I do have concerns over defence. We don't know how long Tommy's out for. You know, Mikel sort of just did it what he usually do it last week when he said it was weeks, didn't he? But it didn't sound great for Tommy. And then he could, if he does get fit, then he's going to be suddenly heading off to the 
to the Asian Cup as well. I mean, so you might be, you know, February, mid-February at best for Tomiyasu. I just, I do feel they're like, I think if they're going to do anything or they need to do something, I do think they need another defender. And it has to be done on January the 1st then as well, doesn't it? That's the, there's no point leaving it late. Otherwise, you're not actually getting much use out of him. No, that is very true. That is very true. If you leave until the end of end of January, then well, you know, Tommy could potentially be back in a couple of weeks after that. But I, that that's where my big worry is. I think you know a lot in terms of the midfield. A lot depends on Thomas Party as well. You know how how he is. Can he stay fit when he comes back? I think the midfield has probably just about got enough to get through unless, you know, disaster strikes and you pick up another couple of injuries. You know, Smith Rowe can stay fit. It was so good to see him back in in midweek. If he can stay fit, I think that'll be a big boost for Arsenal over the second half of the season as well. You know, Kai Havertz is is looking far better than he has done and mm-hmm. you know, big, yeah. big bonus going into the second half of the season as well. But I just, I do worry defensively. The fact that Arsenal had to play or Mikel felt he had to play Saliba and Gabriel next to each other in that PSV game is a uh, that's you know that should send warning signals i think that they are very i was, I was listening to postacoglu just now he was doing his press conference and he was talking about his center backs and he said that he basically they need to sign a january they need to sign someone in january because they're one transfer they're one injury away from you know being in all sorts of problems and i kind of look at arsenal and think they're in, they're in a very similar position there um so yeah if i'm looking at where not I, quite, it's not quite without wishing to sound all hand it's not quite that bad mate like you can you can keep buggering on, whereas uh, I mean Spurs is just that's a clown car of a defense. When uh, if Romero goes down, it's not. He's much Arsenal had to play Declan Rice, move Declan Rice in centre back against PSV. I mean that. It, yeah, yeah, it's not, that's not what you want to be doing. Yeah. Said, oh, that's something I had to look at because it's something we might have to do because of how light we are. And again, you don't want to be moving Declan Rice as good as he is, and he can play there. You don't want him there, do you? You want him in his best position. And I, yeah, I, I it's, it is a. It is a concern. So, yeah, I'm, that's where I, I am with the squad. I mean, you look at who could come in. That's a, that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to start just throwing names around because it's all speculation at the moment. There's nothing that I've heard in terms of it. Like you said, last this time last year, we all knew Mudrick was absolutely a target and then they were pushing for him by this point. And I think they'd already actually bid for him by this point. Um, <laughs> that's not- it, 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 it did help us no end that, Mikhailo Mudrik was sort of like waging one of the most blatant, like, come and sign me. You know, he did. It, did you see Ivan Tony's more... tweet the other day? Ivan Tony t- tweeting, uh, not tweet, his uh, Instagram. He, he tweeted, a, he Instagrammed a picture of himself watching Arsenal. Um, some, someone scored a goal or did something and he tagged them in the thing and he was watching Arsenal. And it just immediately gave me Mudrik flashbacks. <laughs> it was like, God, we know what we get. we're going to start having this again. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it wasn't quite so uh, blatant as what Madrid was doing last year, which was a uh, that was pretty funny. It's much better than the uh, the lean the the banter years, the lean years where uh, Arsenal were, were were begging players, good players to come, rather than good players begging to come to Arsenal. Yeah, I think that does that does say a lot. But so yeah, I think that's that's where we are for for sort of January plans. I just yeah, the the word that that I've had is not to you know not to expect anything groundbreaking, but. Again, you just you kind of have to take that with a pinch of salt, mm. don't you? And we'll, we'll have to see to see how it goes. You know, I know Mikel will be pushing for it if he possibly <laughs> can. I mean, you know what he's like. You know his character. Oh yeah. You know he will not be just accepting that this is his squad through to the end of the season if he can convince the owners and he, there is scope for them to do it. Then he will be 
pushing for them to do that. And uh, that is that is 100% for sure. Yeah, I mean, and we have to say as well on the transfer front, if Mikel Arteta ever looks for a future career, I can see something great in the plumbing trade for him because uh, this guy hates leaks. He really does. does. I got one. I was just uh, looking at some of these questions. I've got one from uh, West Suburban AFC. He says, if you could spend whatever cash we'll have available in January on one position, centre mid, striker, versatile forward or defender, which position are you buying? Uh, well, I, I suppose I'm not buying, and I'll I'll put it all into the the loan of a versatile defender. No, 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 no. That's not the question. Am I spending? You could spend whatever cash we'll have available in January. That's like well. pennies, isn't it? Oh, that is true. Actually, pennies, true. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I'm reading that again. I think he's being actually he's being uh, quite realistic there, where he's saying whatever we've got available, but we don't know what we've got available, so it's yes. quite hard to answer that, but. So, okay, say they've got, say there's thirty million pounds available, and I'm just pulling that figure out of my head right now. So yeah, thirty million, and you could sign a centre midfielder, striker, versatile forward, or defender. Which position are you buying? I'm buying a defender. I have to say, as I've said by when I was talking about the squad, and I think that's that's where the money needs to get spent if there is any money. Uh, look, you know what I think about this guy. I'm doing two and one, and I'll I'll do a name. I'll go, I'll go get Jeremy Frimpong, and I get my versatile forward and my defender in one player. I don't think thirty million would cover, but uh, I'll, if I have to sell someone to make that happen, maybe I would. All right, we shall see. Okay, let's um, talk about the Champions League now, shall we? Move on to the Champions League, and Arsenal safely through unlike two other English clubs to the knockout stages <laughs> of the Champions League. And the draw will take place on Monday. Um, Arsenal potentially could face PSG, Copenhagen, Inter Milan, Porto, Lazio, Leipzig or Napoli. I think the, the number crunchers doing their percentages, the team with the highest percentage of them facing is Leipzig, I but believe. It's quite, quite, yes, but by quite yeah. a fine margin. Yeah, it's very, very tight. So uh, so we shall see on that. First of all, before we get on to looking at the knockout stages, when how do you assess Arsenal's group stage campaign, their first one back since whatever it was, 2016, 2017? I thought it was really impressive, especially at home. I know it's not like, you know, the, the European Cup of old we were talking about where, you know, you, you, may, you should win every home game and lose every away game. But it, it is harder on the road, especially when you're going to places like Lons and it's the first Champions League tie there in a generation, I think you have to accept that that atmosphere is going to spook you. I thought Arsenal dealt with it really professionally. And I think the thing you would say is, yes, it's a bit of a Europa league group, but, you know, if Arsenal are a serious contender... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if Arsenal are a serious contender, they meet the teams that are a bit Europa league and they largely smash them, especially at home. And that's what they did. So, like, I, as far as I'm concerned, you, you know, you have Man City, top of the tree. Um, then I would say, I mean, maybe Bayern are a little bit clearer of the rest. And then Arsenal are, like, so comfortably in the group of teams that could win the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Par- parentheses, if something goes wrong for City. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think a lot of people overlooked how impressive Arsenal's run-through was just because of the group. Like I said, United had... Obviously, you got had Bayern Munich in there, the giant, but then they had Galatasaray and, and Copenhagen, and they struggled. You know, Arsenal could easily have struggled in this group, but they didn't because they were 
very, very impressive, as you said, at home. Um, they can see the goal at home? Didn't, did they? No. No, didn't okay. see the goal uh, at home. Scored six against Lons, four against PSV, two against Sevilla. I mean, you don't get much better than that in your three home games. Obviously, had the slip up away at Lons in the first game, but I still look at that as a game they really shouldn't have lost. It was... Um, Two brilliant goals from Lons and Arsenal missed some big chances in that game. Went Sevilla, got a really impressive win and I thought they did what they needed to do against PSV on, on Tuesday night, which I thought was a decent performance from a much-changed team. So I think they've been really, really good and it's been a long time since they've been in it and you could have gone into that and you never know quite how players are going to react. I think going into the Champions League, it is a different, it is a different environment. Can they deal with the pressure of it, the extra spotlight? And they've done it really, really well. It was very professional. And, you know, Mikel Arteta understand and be very delighted with it. And I think he should be. And it was a really good, it was a really good showing from Arsenal. And then you look at you look at that first the, the teams they could potentially play in the first knockout round. There's nothing to fear there. Even PSG, of course, who are the biggest the, the biggest of the lot, you'd think. There's nothing to fear there. And there's not many, as you said, to fear in the other pot as well of group winners. There's yes, you, you if you're going to win it, you're going to have to get past Manchester City, you would think, at some point, unless someone else does you a favour and does it. And you've got Real Madrid, who you know, is just a different animal when it comes to European football in the Champions League. But even so, I, you know, it, it sounds mad to say it, but there's a, I, I do genuinely think Arsenal have a realistic chance of having a really good shot at this competition. If, if they'll need a bit of luck, of course they will. And they'll mm. need to have pretty much everyone fit. In the when it comes to the business end of the season, but there's no reason why they can't win this win this Champions League, is there? Absolutely none, none whatsoever. I mean, like you say, luck of the draw. But then you know you've got Inter Milan in that pot there, and you know I think that's the team I would probably least want to draw. Yeah, but I agree. I think I and I'm going to ask you a question on that after. I, you know, that Inter Milan team of last season was a very good team, but I don't think it was better than Arsenal, and it got a good draw. And suddenly with that, they were, you know, 90 minutes away from, from winning it. And we all know what can happen between, you know, between any two teams in 90 minutes, especially if Arsenal well, are unlucky. They were unlucky to lose a final in the middle. They were. Yeah. Right. So I'll do mine after. But who who in that, in, who in that, those eight do you want to draw from a footballing perspective? Who do you want to draw, you know, if you're going to do the away day? And who do you want to avoid? That can also be, that can, you know, but I think that's pretty. Well, I want to draw. I want to draw Copenhagen. I think because I just think it'd be a brilliant trip. Yeah. Copenhagen holds good and bad memories. I was there in the UEFA Cup final in whatever year that was when we lost to Galatasaray in penalties. I was there for that. I wasn't there for Parma in '95, but um, or '94. But so it's good and bad memories. It's a huge Arsenal yeah. um, fan base in in Denmark as well. So and it'd be a really special occasion that one. I just think and. Yeah, I just think that'd be a great draw. I absolutely don't want to draw PSG from at just a loads of points of view. I just think it's a horrible place to go and play football for fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for fans, it's dreadful. Traveling fans, it's dreadful. Um, so no, I wouldn't like that. Napoli done that fairly recently. Porto, I think would be a would be a good trip. I think for me personally, into Milan, I wouldn't like from a football point of view, but. I've never been to the San Siro and it's one of my favourite yeah. grounds in the world and they're leaving the San Siro at some point. In theory, soon. yeah. Yeah. And I would do everything to go to that game if Arsenal get into Milan just to tick 
of what is definitely something on my bucket list off. So, yeah, there's, there's, I, I think I, I would probably say Copenhagen for just purely football and journalistic reasons. Um, but Inter Milan would be a very close second, although I think that would probably be probably the most difficult game. Well, oh, I think so. Joint with they look really good in Serie A. Yeah, really? they're having a really good season. They're, they're looking very, very strong. I still look at that team now and think that Arsenal should take them over two, two, two legs. PSG, I don't know what to expect from PSG because they've, they've been bad a lot of times in the, and I've seen them a few times this season and every time I've seen them, they've been bad, but Rubbish. they do, you know, you, they've, they've got match winners in that in that team who can turn it on and take a game away from you in in a very short amount of time if they, if they perform. And they do seem to be getting a little bit better as well. There seems to be signs that they're improving. So come February, March, they might be, you know, much, much better as well. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather avoid PSG, I, I have to say, and go one or the other lot. What about you? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm quite anti getting PSG and into Milan because I have very talented colleagues in Paris and Milan. So uh, there's no trip there from a work perspective. Um, I think Copenhagen would be, I mean, let's be honest, it'd be a very fun one uh, professionally and personally, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh Leipzig, I feel like, could be quite a good matchup for Arsenal in terms of a team that I think they could control quite well. Um, a Porto, yeah, I don't think Porto. I mean, obviously, for work, I've seen quite a lot of Champions League football. I didn't think Porto were all that. Um, Lazio were rubbish, frankly. I don't know how on earth they got through. Um, and I can't wait for you to clip that up when they uh, knock Arsenal out in the round of 16. Yeah, Leipzig would be an interesting one. I think Leipzig would be would be quite not like not like top on your tourist bucket list though, is it? No, it's not. It's not. Apologies to our viewers in Leipzig. Yeah, whoever you are. I, I don't. I don't want Lazio. I have to say again. I just think for travelling fans, that's just not going to be that fun a trip going over there. And... Gwendozi back at the Emirates though. Of course, yeah. I forgot Gwendozi. I will. There, I will be on tour. If he do, if that happens, I'm running to him with open arms. I love that player. I watched Maybe a bit play. of their game with Celtic the other day. The one when they got a couple of late goals and won it, what two 0 whatever it was. And yeah, saw, he was really good that game. I saw Gwendozi. He was involved in one of the goals there, and I was like, God, yeah, I forgot he was over in in Lazio now. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Monday's a draw. Going to be very exciting. The fact that uh, that Arsenal are in it, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, we get a good trip. Second games at the Emirates, isn't it? Of course. Second yeah, which is a big plus. It's a big plus. Yeah. yeah, it is a big plus. It is a big plus. So cool. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right. So talking about Champions League and the game in midweek, PSV game. Now this is, <laughs> I, I did a bit 
on this yesterday in my show after the game, after the PSV game, and got so many questions and comments. Very divisive subject, I think. Some people agree with me. Like, I just said basically it's a missed opportunity. And look, Mikel Arteta is a manager. He's absolutely a manager. He can do whatever he wants, and he's far more qualified than me, you, anyone else to, to do that, of course. And he's he can play who he wants, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. And all I was saying yesterday was I felt it was a missed opportunity, not to play all three of them, not to start them or anything like that necessarily, although I do think he should have started Walters over Cedric, as well as I thought Cedric played pretty well. But the fact that Cedric could potentially go in January and Arsenal are open to let him go, which is what I have been told, just make you think, well, why just... What, what good do you get out of playing Cedric against PSV rather than playing Walters there? And even if Walters really, really struggles, it's still a big moment for him. And you've got to, at some point, give these players a chance to sink or swim. And um, if you're not going to do it in that game, the most dead of dead rubbers, then when are you going to do it? And so I just felt I just felt like it was a missed opportunity. like throwing Gabriel Jesus on for the last five minutes. What do you get out of that? Seriously, what does Jesus get out of that? What do Arsenal get out of that? And if you'd have put Wanieri on for those few minutes, you get so much more. What it would mean to him, what it would mean to everyone at Hale End watching, to the youth coaches who have worked on Wanieri watching. You know, I just think it means an awful lot more. So I felt like it was a missed opportunity. I'm not sitting here criticising Arteta for it. It's just my opinion that it was a a bit of a missed a missed opportunity for him. And I mean, what did what did you think? I wasn't surprised, I have to say. But uh, what, what did you think on it? Yeah, I, I certainly would agree that you know it it did feel like you'd let something be wasted. I, the things I would sort of say Arteta got right. I actually, you know, once it became apparent that Rice was dropping into centre-back, I really liked that because like Arteta said, and I know it won't ever be the plan, but a game might come along or even a passage of a game where you've got to put Arteta, uh, you got to put Rice in at centre-back and it helps to know what you're getting there. So I thought all power on that. Great to see Emil Smith row, and that leaves three substitutes. And then um, I and you know, I would have maybe made those changes fairly early on, Rice and and Smith row. But then yeah, the rest were totally unnecessary. And like you say, it's a special moment for these Academy guys. I know it's sort of the case that you have to you're gonna have to work harder if you're sort of carrying three youngsters who don't know the system, don't know their positioning quite as well, are gonna learn through playing. But, you know, if you make the right substitutions, take off the right players who, and, you know, you just manage fitness, which is part of your job, I don't think it would have sort of put too much extra load on the players that were still on the pitch. Um, and I thought it was a real a real special moment wasted. But what, what I don't have truck with, and this is um, AFC Addy mentioned this, but he certainly wasn't the only one, um, is this idea that Arteta sort of has an inability to give youngsters a chance. Uh, he says, I don't recall him integrating any youngsters into our first team. Emery was the one who gave players like Saka and Martinelli a chance. Because we have to be really clear here that, like, Unai Emery will never tire of telling anyone that he gave Pakayo Saka his Arsenal debut. But, you know, that's not quite, that's not what Mikel Arteta did with Jesus, or not Jesus, Martinelli, Saka, all those players. He built a team around them like, just because they sort of happened to, you know, Eddie and Ketia made his debut under Arsene Wenger. Like, it doesn't mean that Arsene Wenger is the one that's responsible for giving him the role he has. Arteta has built a squad around young players, some of them from the academy, some of them not. We also have to say, and this comes back to what we were saying at the top, this is a really special group of talented young players from Hale End. Pep Guardiola's given 
more than 20 youngsters from the City Academy debuts. Two of them in his time there have, have established themselves as first team as Lewis and Foden. Like, it's always going to be a little bit of happenstance. Arteta is a manager who gives youngsters chances because he happened to take over at a time where Arsenal had the best crop of, of young players since George Graham built a sort of title to winning team out of them. But like, let's not, let's not say that Arteta doesn't rate youngsters. He just is <laughs> maybe sometimes lets opportunities to just give them a special moment over five minutes, slip yeah. him, slip him, slip him by. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's, he has missed some opportunities to do that. But yeah, I think it's, I think the, the sort of the argument that he doesn't rate youngsters or doesn't want to use youngsters is rubbish. And I think that, you know, evidence shows that that's rubbish because like you said, he's, he's built a team around youngsters and he's developed those youngsters. Yes. Emery gave them their debut in terms of Smith Rowe and did it, did Wenger give, no, did, who gave Smith Rowe his debut? Uh, Emery gave Smith Rowe and yeah. uh, Wenger gave Nelson and Nketiah and yeah. Willock but, their debuts and Maitland-Niles who we all forget. But those players have, although the debuts were given by those managers, they were developed and turned into these superstars that they are now in terms of Saka and Martinelli anyway, under Arteta, who gave them, the, who certainly gave them their chance mm-hmm. to and improve them, you know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't buy into that argument that he doesn't give them a chance, but I do think he seems very reluctant to, at the moment, throw some players in to give them an, just to give them a debut. And, you know, you shouldn't be giving players debuts just for the sake of it. Of course you shouldn't. But there are opportunities to to blood some players. And I did feel like this was a really big one missed. And it's just that question, isn't it? If not now, when? And there will there will never be a better yeah. chance to do it than, than Tuesday night. Because, as I said, that was the most dead of dead rubbers. And obviously every game means something. There was 2.5 million on the line or whatever it was for prize money. So, you know, for a club, that's, that is important. You've got coefficiency ratings and points and all that sort of stuff on on the line of course but 1.8 million baby that they could yeah. have had and but i mean look we saw what man city did yesterday in their game they gave some youngsters a chance and the youngsters yeah. seized those opportunities and and scored so um yeah i i i was a bit disappointed after the game i have to say i just felt like that that was a an opportunity for arteta that he that he didn't take and i mean there's some questions and comments here from people ross says thoughts on the other big six clubs playing academy kids and arsenal not does this start to trickle down effect and show them there might not be a way to the first team understand arteta wanting to win every match but developing young players is important for future sales i mean i think that's a key thing as well isn't it that in terms of Academy kids, it's not all about breaking through into the first team and becoming the next Saka and becoming the next Smith Rowe or, or, or Nelson. It's also for potential sales and getting value up for players as well, which is, is very important that when it comes to the academy. It's such a key part of the business. For... But I think nowadays kids are smart enough to understand that there can be a good environment to develop in, even if the part, the end of the pathway isn't the first team. Like, take Brooke Norton Cuffey. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll ever be a sort of first team regular. If you ask me to bet now, I'd say no. Yeah. But Arsenal, um, you know, managed his development pretty shrewdly. I mean, Joe Willock, Ainsley Maitland-Niles as well. These guys have, you know, they they haven't made it at Arsenal. But I don't think, you know, the, the best parents, the best agents that work with young players will be telling their kids, you know, there are environments that allow you to hone your development. And I still think Hayland is 
and I, everything I hear is that Hayland is still considered one of the best environments to do that. And that, that doesn't change. We have to say that doesn't change with, if Rule Walters plays 10 minutes or, or zero yeah. minutes. It's still a good place to be a young footballer. Oh, absolutely. 100%. But you just think what it would have meant to those people back at Hayland seeing yeah. new players come through, you know, because obviously Saka and Smith Rowe and everyone, they're the poster boys. They have been for a good few years now. But we're yet to see the next... The next guys, obviously, Charles Sago Jr. got his chance against Brentford, which was good. Um, but it, uh, it would have been great to see one of them come on in the in the Champions League, I have to say. And when I was watching that Man City game yesterday and seeing them take their opportunity like they did for City, you're just like, oh, that would have been that would have been nice to have seen it with an Arsenal player. But look, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge issue. And you know, as I said, I'm not going to absolutely hammer Arteta for it. It's his choice. He's a manager and he knows far more than us. He sees these players ins and out uh, at training and everything like that. And he said after the game, he didn't feel it was right for them. And if he's saying that, then you know, who are you to, to really question? But uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I did think it was a little bit of an opportunity missed. Right. So look, let's move on to Brighton now, shall we? And um, a bogey team for Arsenal at the Emirates, Brighton. Oh, yeah. right. going, I mean, they knocked Arsenal out of the cup last season at the Emirates, a league cup, didn't they? Um, and then basically ended Arsenal's title a title charge, although that was basically ended a couple hours earlier when Manchester City won at Everton and that oh horrible God, day, that. horrible day at the end of last season. Um, I tell you, if it, it was if if you could sort of time warp this current Everton team, or, or like if you could have the like you know get this Everton team against this Man City team, I'm fan, I'm picking Everton. I love that Everton team right now. Yes, yeah, so that's a complete well. sidetrack there. Yeah, they are doing well. It's a shame they didn't that, that day. Bloody Gundogan popping up as he did towards yeah. the end of last season with some of those goals he scored. Um, what do you think? What are you expecting from Brighton? I mean, Arsenal obviously going into it and back of that defeat against Villa last weekend, which I don't know. It, I suppose it does put a little bit more pressure on them. They, they've got Liverpool to come after this as well, of course. So you, re- you know, three points really, really important this weekend. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't be terrified from an Arsenal perspective, and. Like I saw Brighton against Chelsea a few weeks back, and like, come on, if you're losing to Chelsea, um, ten men Chelsea as well. Ten men Chelsea. Uh, I, well, and that's one of the interesting things. I I feel like you know the XG stuff will tell you that they're still quite a dangerous attack, but it felt to me like they really did struggle to break down defenses, even when they had a lot of the ball. And and I think this one is really reflected in the numbers. They are just a little bit weaker defensively, as any team would be when it's sort of lost Levi Colwell, when it's lost um, uh, Moises Caicedo, of course. Uh, They're just not the same team they were last year, and there's no shame in that. They have a really good coach. They play the right way, but they're just a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more open. I think when Brighton rolled into the Emirates last season, that was sort of the peak version of, of this team. Caicedo could just bully his way through midfield. The front three looked so dangerous. And of course I would be very, you know, Evan Ferguson is going to be a tough ask for Saliba and Gabriel, but it just, you know, they can't be that same team again. And the, I mean, the other thing I'd want to highlight is, you know, Brighton was, was so pressed so effectively against Arsenal. And I thought in that game, I remember just thinking Arsenal need an out ball, a player they can hit it long to. And, they have that in Kai Havertz, who has who has come on leaps and bounds in the last few weeks, and uh, could be a bit of a sort of secret weapon. Um, what are you expecting? 
because it, it, it it's going to be tricky. And and we should also say Brighton, the Brighton have got a big Europa League game as well, so I think they'll be quite tired. What are you? Expecting? Yeah, that's an interesting one because they, I mean, they, it's a game they have to win as well. They can't really be resting players, and it's tonight, isn't it, against Marseille because they want to win. Yeah, the but group. he rotates a lot. He wrote like he. <laughs> this is a big game for them because they, if yeah. you know, they, you've got to win the group, don't you? Because then you, yeah. you you get an extra weekend off. I mean, off two midweeks off in February. And you don't have to play a Champions League team, of course, in that in that mm. draw. So it is a big, it is a big game for them. I think he'll go full strength for this one tonight. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. Is yeah, that's it's what cool. I mean. Is he, I, I think he might rotate for this this game at the Emirates. And, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting. Say, interesting. you know, thanks very much. I mean, they've gone from being maybe the fourth or fifth best team in England to seventh or eighth. So they will be a, a tough out, but I think Arsenal have got it in them. Yeah, I, obviously, I think Arsenal got it in them, but I'm just. I've just got so many memories of Brighton rocking up at the Emirates and just playing really, really well. And it goes back, you know, predates to Zerbi as well. It seems like since, well, since Potter, you know, the, the Brighton always just seemed to play very, very, very well at the Emirates. So I'm expecting a really tough game. Um, I do think Arsenal, you know, should win if they play well. I think they need to win as well. I think the the, the fact that they lost at Villa last week and the fact that they got Anfield next after this one, it puts real added importance on this game. They need to be picking up three points to respond well from that defeat at Aston Villa, which I didn't think they played badly at Villa by any means. I didn't think they deserved it. In fact, I think they deserved to win that game, not even draw it. I think they should have won at Aston Villa. I still feel that was a real case of three points dropped last uh, last weekend and they need to get back on it. So, um, and the fact that Arsenal were able to rest pretty much everyone in midweek and like you said, Deserve is going to have to go pretty strong tonight. Uh, I'd certainly have Arsenal down as favourites for this one. I mean, team selection-wise, it depends what's going on with Martinelli. Obviously, he's ill, so didn't travel. But you would hope that he's going to come back into the, into the equation for this one and should be OK to start, as long as it wasn't you know anything more than a cold or a bit sort of fluey. And then I think the team pretty much picks itself for this game. You mentioned Havertz there. I thought he was really good against Aston Villa, Havertz. I thought it was really his good. best game in an Arsenal show. It's interesting. Every time... I Every week we say this, thought, Yeah, me. I keep saying that. It's his best game. And that's just a really positive thing, isn't it? That we're suddenly Ooh. saying, you know, every week at the moment, he's improving and looking better and better. And I thought he really, really did play well in that game against Villa, um, which is a big, big bonus. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, you know, you can... I think, assuming Martinelli's fit, it's probably the eleven. I'm intrigued by sort of. I mean, I think Adingra is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't be against putting Kivior up against him, but it is a decent rest the other side of, of this game, isn't there? So uh, get Zinchenko in, in for this game, I think, and, and make sure Arsenal are winning it, playing their way. I thought he he also had some off moments against Villa, but was maybe less unreliable defensively than we thought he might be given given the opposition. Yeah, what did you make of that Villa game and the performance from Arsenal? I thought, honestly, I thought it was, I thought they played. It was one of those days they were just not going to score a goal. I thought they played well, but they were just not going to score a goal. Oh, I'm firmly of the view that Martin Erdegaard should never take another shot at Villa Park because it's just should never play at Villa Park again. You leave Erdegaard at home when Arsenal. Something in the air there, isn't there? Where he he, he will miss sitters, but I mean that was it was that was the game, wasn't it? It was just like a never-ending stream of how are Arsenal going to mess up this? opportunity like i don't think we'll see another game this season where saka martinelli um erdegaard jesus all have like it's not bad games it's just games where like it, it's like there's something up with their wiring You're yeah. like are you okay like, have you got like a head cold or something yeah they're still um, usually very very ruthless i mean there's so many opportunities especially in the first half when 
they'd win the ball back up high and then they wouldn't even get yeah. a shot away because they'd mucked it up. The pass was wrong or they'd picked the wrong the, the wrong option. It was just one of those days where they they were all just off it. They all misfired at the same time and it was really, really costly because they just needed to one or two of them to be on it and they would have won that game. You know, they Villa were there for the taking that uh, on on the Saturday night and it was it was it was a real frustration to that to not even get a point from it. It was uh yeah. Like that, the Newcastle game was annoying, but Arsenal didn't really do enough to win that game, even though they ended up losing it. The game against Villa was very, very different. I think they, that was a that was three points drops against Villa, not just one point. It still means that halfway through the season, Arsenal haven't faced faced a team that's been better than them, and I like that. I like those odds. Yeah, I said that afterwards. Actually, it was one of the, one of the reasons I just wasn't. Obviously, I was disappointed at the result, but I wasn't. It wasn't like you came and go. Oh, we were terrible then, and. Villa did what they did to Manchester City against Arsenal and dominated and everything like that. It was just another game where Arsenal, you know, barely gave the other side a sniff on their turf and created a fair amount themselves, but they just didn't take advantage of it. So it, it was it was frustrating. And hopefully they can bounce back from that because I think they need to, because Anfield is gonna be a hell of a a hell of a test on the twenty third, especially the way Liverpool are playing at the moment. And, um, you know, Arsenal don't want to be losing any more ground on them before that trip. Yes, absolutely. OK, right, let's go through. I'm going to, uh, I've obviously asked for some questions and comments on Twitter. So I'm going to go through and pick a couple for you. If you want to do the same as well, we'll end the show with a few questions. Obviously, mm. we've already had, we've already brought a few of them into the actual um, show. And we, we did talk about Helen briefly. And there was one here from uh, someone who calls themselves just party i think it was lucas allod uh, i can't pronounce it oh. i'll just go i'll just go with lucas and he says um um it's on helen he says the plan for helen products what could be classified as an ex- as a success for the academy playing for the first team or selling to raise money i mean both both i know that's the thing but i think we need to sort of let yeah like maybe reconfigure how how valuable like the getting money for a player is because Alex Awobi generated Arsenal how much? 30, 30 to 35 million? I'd yeah. never find out which of those clauses got activated in the end. That's an incredible success because that's 30 to 35 million of, of free money. That's why Chelsea are um, thinking about selling their best midfielder, Conor Gallagher. And I said that and I'm not taking that back. So, yeah, well, uh, both are both Man, City, Man City with Cole Palmer as well. It's just, yeah, I think it's essential. And, especially... and maybe we underrate that second success. Same with yeah. Willett. As as I think it's, really, it's really important. It's really important to to sell players from the academy. I think, especially now, it's so hard to sell players, especially outside of the Premier League, because of how much money the players are on, and it just makes it makes it really really difficult to sell players. So, if you can sell an academy product, and you get, like you said, just pure profit from that, then it, it's a key part of the business, I think, and it will continue to be a key part of the business going forward. Obviously, the the dream is for them all to come through and play for the first team, but that's never going to happen. And so what you need to develop them well so that you, if they're not going to play for Arsenal, they're going to play for someone else, but you're going to get a good amount of money for it. So, yeah, I think it's it's, it's, it's sort of balancing act, isn't it? It's, I think success is definitely playing for the first team, but it's also selling to raise money as well. Right. I've picked uh, someone that's name is a little easier to read. The Football Talk at Addy2123. And this was addressed to you, so you can answer it. Hi, Charles. In your opinion, what does failure look like for this season? Would you be happy if we don't win anything but finish second or third in the Premier League? Even though there has been a lot of progress this season, there should be pressure on Arteta to win something. 
yeah, so would I be happy? I mean, I think no. it's interesting what failure is. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be happy if they didn't win anything this season. But I don't think it would be a failure if they didn't win anything. Mm. It's, it's hard to say anything's a failure at the moment when you're playing up against Manchester City. It's a team that's just won the treble, and yes, they're a little bit off at the moment. But I think they'll be very much. That you know, they're not going to be off it all season. And if you finish second behind Manchester City, then I don't think that's a failure. Um, but. You know, if Arsenal, third behind finish, out, if Arsenal finish outside the top four, that's a failure this season. I'd mm. say, yeah, that I'd, I'd class as a, a definite failed season. You know, Arsenal have to be challenging for the title this season and they have to be going deep into the Champions League this season. If they don't manage that, then I think that's a failure. And then I think Arteta will be under pressure. I don't think he'll, he'll I don't think that would cost him his job, but I think he'll certainly come under pressure from the fans and from the, from the club because of the amount of money that has been spent. So, um, so yeah. But if they finished second behind Man City this season and say got to the semi-finals of the Champions League but didn't win it, I wouldn't look at this season as a failure. I'd look at it as a slight disappointment because mm. I want to see Arsenal winning a trophy. And I think they're good enough to win a trophy, but I, w- I wouldn't say it's a failure. Yeah, everything you said, really. Like, I, I wouldn't disagree with the word. Failure is, is not being around in the Champions League next season. If only Newcastle and uh, Man United could be relied upon, there might even be a bit more of a... Uh, room to room for failure there a bit more of a safety net <laughs> right one here from chris it says why are they these rumors about kivior um, it's italian football transfer reporting i don't, I don't think there's any appetite to let kivior go i mean i would i would place him in the list of players that i mean there are very few players at, in at arsenal right now who, where there is not a price that that arsenal would say okay thank you um but there's no appetite to sell Kivior. And I'm not aware, it's not to say that there isn't, but I'm not aware of any sort of push from Kivior to to go. He seems pretty happy and he's getting yeah. good minutes right now. So there are rumours about Kivior because, uh, I mean, and I suspect I suspect the reality is there are rumours in the Italian press about Kivior because a lot of Italian clubs would love to sign him. He's very good. Yeah, I think he's really good. I really like Kivior. Um, and yeah, obviously there's been consistently linked to AC Milan pretty much every other day there's a report from a different Italian or media organization linking Kivio to Milan but yeah I mean it'd be madness <laughs> it'd be utter madness from Arsenal to get rid of Kivio in January I mean after everything we've been talking about in this show in terms of the squad and where it could potentially be light and they're one injury away from a defense real defensive issues if you then go and turn around and sell sell a player who can play center back and left back and who's you know getting plenty of minutes for you it'd be it'd just be it'd just be mad so yeah i thanks for the question chris but um i don't think there's anything necessarily for arsenal to worry about the rumors are there milan might be interested in in, but i don't think arsenal are going to even consider the possibility of letting him go uh i I, there's there's some i've liked um I like this one from Sagar S about why doesn't Arteta play Reese Nelson more? But then he ruined it. And by the end, we were talking about when will Arteta stop his bigger than the club demeanor, which is news to me. So, Sagar, you were close, but you don't get the question, which I think I'm guessing is our last one, probably. Um, Ollie S, and I'm asking you this one because I've just been watching Premier League years uh, 2011 to 2012 to 13, 12 to 13, uh, and Arsenal have just beaten uh, Chelsea 5 2 again. Uh, which player from the 2010s do you think would first pick would fix fix perfectly? I think I guess fit perfectly into the current squad. Say that again. Go over that again. Sorry. Which player from the 2010s do you think would fit perfectly into the current squad? Santi Cazorla. 
Always a good one, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite easy. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no one else. I'd, I mean, when you say 2010s, is that literally from, are we talking 2010s till the 2020s, 20, that whole decade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Play um, fast and loose. I've got quite an unpopular I'd one. still go with Sandy Cazorla. <laughs> I was going to say, well, maybe Alexis, you know, beast mode Alexis Sanchez was just such a monster <laughs> and would, you know, he would do anything, he would transform this team, even though as much as I like Martinelli, you get, you know, you play, you get Sanchez into this team, but oh, Sandy Cazorla, imagine him playing in that left eight role now. <sighs> just, or anywhere in that midfield, oh, it's just, he's just a genius. He deserved better Sandy Cazorla than what, you know, the, <laughs> the teams he sometimes had to play in at Arsenal. If he played, if Sandy Cazorla was in this team now, Arsenal win. Win the title in my life. Oh, imagine Santi Cazorla left eight. Oh. <laughs> One of my favourite ever players. Yeah, um, but I don't think it's like it's not much fun for the listeners if we both just pick Cazorla, even though if I had the first dibs at this, I would pick Cazorla. And I was sort of thinking for absolutely right this instant, like Bakary Sanya, talk to me. But again, Bakary Sanya, it's great. Everyone likes him. Who cares? You know how we're always talking about how Arsenal need that killer striker? We've always said, you know, the striker, that's maybe what they could upgrade and someone that could play with Jesus and play instead of Jesus and, you know, 30 goals a season. It's RVP, isn't it? Yeah, that is very true. I hadn't thought of RVP. Yeah. It, it hurts to admit it, but 2011-2012 Robin Van Persie, is unbelievable possibly yeah i mean like one of the great post invincibles seasons um frankly of any player like not just to arsenal players uh him jesus and saka as your front three not bad was it not bad would it yeah oh yeah i mean rvp like i said that season he was just unbelievable and then when he wanted what he went and done at united as well afterwards um but also no i don't want to pick him now sanya Sanya, Sanya would be nice, but no, I'm sticking with Sanya Kazola as yeah. well. There was one I just wanted to talk about here. This is a, from Aaron. So it's just a general question about reporting. Do journalists get more of their info, <laughs> Ori, injuries, transfers from people within the club or those close to the player? And when journalists get info, are you told you aren't allowed to release it until a certain time to protect the club? <laughs> I love the last bit of that, which <laughs> seems to be something that a lot of people believe but just literally couldn't be further from the truth it's like have you ever been told ever been told not to report something to protect the club oh my god no because they know that the minute you so many people believe that it's genuinely what happened and is the case and it's just absolutely 100 not true it's not true in the slightest but so many people believe that 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 is the case i mean so 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 people said about the, the time thing you may be told something arsenal don't do this but other clubs might tell you something and say uh, put an embargo on it, like or say because this news we're we're announcing this news at this time. This is when you. Sh- but I oh mean, yeah, yeah, you get stuff this- like that, like contract announcements. They'll sometimes yeah. they'll give you a heads up, say this is going out at ten o'clock. But you know, in the weeks leading up to that, you know that story's already been broken and reported that so and so is going to sign a new contract. But the actual announcement when it's done or a transfer's yeah. done and going to be announced, sometimes you get a heads up through that relationship with the club of we're going to release this at ten o'clock. So. If you want to get your confirmed story prepared to go at 10 o'clock, you know, that that obviously happens. But in terms of actual stories that you get and, you know, behind if the, the club scenes... want to protect themselves, then they don't tell journalists. Mm. I mean, and, and I think people misunderstand how often uh, a football club will proactively tell um, 
a lot. I mean, it does vary, and I don't want to sort of write hard and fast rules about this, but I, I, I think people would misunderstand how often, you know, a football club will go out and proactively tell journalists information that they don't otherwise have or haven't discussed. It can happen. But I, I think people think, yeah, that that <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to phrase all this very carefully, haven't you, as you're saying yeah. it, but that, um, yeah, it's just not what you think that, that clubs would sort of say things to us and say, don't report it. If you tell a journalist something, you kind of have to accept and expect that it will end up written down quite soon after. Um, the other the other part of that question, which I did really like, um, because I just say it completely varies. Quite often it varies based on the player, um, whether where we get our information from. But you have to be able to get information from the club and from out, within the club and without the club, like agents, players, if you're very good, um, people, yeah, people in the know, and it can come from anywhere. Um, yeah. But like I say, it's, yeah, the clubs are not. And not like telling us things every day and saying, don't say this, don't report it. You obviously have relationships with people at the club. And when you do have a story, you'll go to the club sometimes and say, look, I've got this, I'm running this. Is there anything you want to add? Do you want to add some mm. you know, is it context behind it? And, you know, you will give clubs sometimes heads up if you've got, if you've got a big story, you know, that's, that's how it works, obviously. And, um, but yeah, I've, I've never once, I can honestly say, I've never once ever been told, do not, do not write this, or you're going to be in trouble for writing this, or, you know, don't write this to protect. It's just, it just does not happen as much as some people want you to believe it does. It does not trust me. Um, and yeah, I think that's about where we should leave it now. What are we up to time-wise? We're up to over, over the hour mark. So I think that's a good place to, uh, to end it. Where are you, uh, this weekend? Do you, are you at the Arsenal? I'm at the Emirates. Looking forward to it. Uh, and then I guess got to hurry back because we've got the small matter of Liverpool Man United afterwards. Indeed, I'm at the Emirates. I'm not in the press box. So I'm at my seat in my seat this weekend. So I shall be there. I don't know what I'm doing afterwards. I might hang around and um, watch the United game somewhere. I know a few people are going out and watching it. Could uh, be very funny. Around North London. Yeah, United and Liverpool are going to absolutely smash them. They're going to absolutely smash them <laughs> in that game. United are missing some players as well, aren't they? So, um, yeah, I saw Bruno... Bruno managed to get himself the weekend off as well, going up to it as every good captain should. I mean, uh, I mean, we could do a whole other hour, couldn't we, on Manchester United? But there is a club with a sort of absolute vacuum of a dressing room, um, and I don't. I'm always very conscious when I have to write about uh, United of sort of not saying, "Look, Arsenal are the solution here," but um, whoever takes over the running of that football department should look at what Edu did expensive and painful as it is and sort of say, yeah, there are some 27, 28 year olds here that are sufficiently damaging to this club that it makes more sense to pay them to not play for us than it does to pay them to play for us badly. Yeah. Hopefully they don't do that. So we can just continue to laugh at them. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, all right, mate. Have a good one. Good to speak to you. Yes. And uh, we'll be back. I wonder if we will squeeze one in next week. I'm going away a week today. So I'm not here for Christmas. Um, so I, but it'd be good to squeeze a, a show in. We've got a free midweek, haven't we? we will, for once. We'll yeah, we will talk about that at the start of next week and, and try and get something done, even if it's something that I put out while, while we are away. Um, all right, mate. Have a good one. Enjoy the game at the weekend. I'll uh, give you a wave from my seat over the press box. And I'll see you soon. Bye bye. Speak to you soon. Bye, mate. Small. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 